Welcome to Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley connecting capital and communities. In this show, we introduce you to people working to create opportunities in multicultural communities from entrepreneurs to investors to developers and activists. Our guests offer us tools that we might use as a playbook to invest, develop, and transform communities by providing access to capital to women and multicultural-owned businesses. I'm your host, Carla Harris. In this episode of Access and Opportunity, we will be at the goal line of urban development and explore how organizations can be anchors in spurring community revitalization. This week, we'll be talking to Kevin Warren, COO of the Minnesota Vikings, about the U.S. Bank Stadium Development Project and its affiliated tech accelerator. Now, no matter what football team you root for, You will be in awe of what Kevin Warren and the Minnesota Vikings have accomplished for their franchise and for the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Thank you for being here with me today, sir. It's truly a pleasure to be here. Thank always. you. All righty. And I'm excited for you to share with our listeners the lessons you've learned from this incredible development project. Everybody is always wondering, how do I get into sports? How do I get into sports? And you actually made that step pretty quickly outside of law school. So can you talk a little bit about that journey and how you got to the Vikings? Yes. I I mean, I think the best bit of advice to young people or people uh, who are interested in getting into sports is to become excellent at what you're doing. So I think the best advice that I had was whatever job, whatever opportunity I was given Early on, my focus was to become the best, the most knowledgeable, the hardest working person to have the biggest impact. And what ended up happening is that this is such a relationship business that, you know, you work with someone and then they said they know someone else. I thought back the other day, just mentally thinking about our conversation today, I have never had a job that existed before I had the job. So every Ah. job in my entire career for the last 28 years since I got out of law school was created, didn't exist based upon a relationship that someone made an introduction for me. So I say that to say so many times it's easy to look at an organization and say, I would like to do this or do that or replace this person. I've never had a job that ever existed on an org chart before I worked there. And I think what had helped me is that first job that I had right out of law school, it worked out. That person referred me to someone else. And since then, it's just been that continuous kind of relationship building and taking advantage of opportunities. So, Kevin, how do you view your role? Because your title says COO, Mm. but clearly everything that you've done and what you continue to do is beyond the traditional definition of COO. Yeah, I mean, I I view myself and I think, you know, thank God to my parents. And I got a great wife I've been married to for 26 years and two kids who inspire and challenge me is really to be a change agent. And so I really view my role, regardless of the title, is to be a change agent and a creating environment. You know, my parents, one of our, their models was leave a situation better than it was when you showed up. And so I would look back on my, you know, 13 years, start my 14th year at the Vikings, 20th in the NFL, but here at Minnesota, that I, I feel very confident that if you walked up and down the halls and say, you know, these last 14 seasons here, has he made this a better place? I think it'll be an absolutely resounding, you know, yes. It's an honor, pleasure. When I wake up every morning and say my prayers and to get a chance to come do what I do on a daily basis for a young man like me who grew up where I grew up, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm beyond blessed. Well, Kevin, that is a perfect segue into the conversation that we're going to have because you saw a gap. 
you saw, therefore, a market inefficiency. Yes. And you created an opportunity around it. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast Mm -hmm. is that so often people will look at the landscape of women and multicultural entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and assume that there is outsized risk with that that group, if you will, or that demographic, when in fact, there's great opportunity there. And so I want to talk a little bit about how, even in your vision now, as you think about Mm -hmm. your role in the Vikings, how you thought about this stadium, Mm -hmm. you know, what was the pitch to the city? How did you get them to contribute a half a billion dollars to this? And how did you articulate the bigger vision of the opportunity that could be created, not only for the private investors, the public investors, mm-hmm. but more importantly for the community and the entrepreneurs in it? I mean, that's a great question. One of the things, and a lot of it had to do with the way I was raised and just probably my DNA, you know, when I look at opportunities, I always explore what's not being done and to figure out that, you know, you can, you know, I have a joke that I always say that you can make a meal out of appetizers. And so many <laughs> people are focused on it if you don't promise them a five-course meal or, or a prime rib or, or a great piece of steak that they figure it's not dinner. And what I've always tried to look at is that, okay, all of these other businesses, all of these companies, all of these other sports entities have done it this way. You know, let's take a step back and to figure out what are some of the creases that have not been done, you know, that we can articulate that on paper and put it in a vision. The other thing is I think one of the things that has helped our organization collectively here is we always, I always look at our business, not as a sports business, you know, we are a business and we are in the we, we are in the people business. We're not we happen to have uh, a large portion of our attraction. The vehicle is football, but it's so much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it, OK, I got 365, 24, seven to engage our fans. Uh, if you just focus on engaging them from a football standpoint, that doesn't prepare you for the ebbs and flows of, of success or failure on the field, and you only get a chance to capture them during the fall season. Right. And so I try to create an environment to say, what is the way that if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, even if you're not a fan, but when you wake up on February 19th or March 12th or June 18th or July 2nd, even though when we're not playing How can I make sure I engage you or engage someone in your family or in your business from an opportunity standpoint? That's a give and take, not only for us to take, but for us to be able to give you something. Mm -hmm. And if you provide people with opportunities, regardless whether it's in season or out, they'll always be engaged with you. Mm -hmm. So why did the city think this was a good thing to do? Because obviously cities are always competing needs uh, with limited resources, they might argue. Mm -hmm. So why did they think this was worth doing? Well, one of the things that, again, and the CEO of Twin Cities Orthopedics, Troy Simonson, teases me and he says, you know, you need to go back and take a basic math class. Because one of the first things I even told him in one of our first meetings is I try to create opportunities that are one plus one equals 85. Okay. And so in sitting down with the city and sitting down with the state uh, and even the NFL, we sought to create an opportunity to say that although people have focused on the half a billion dollars of combination dollars that we received from the city and the state, that that's a lot of money. I say it's all relatively speaking because since we closed on U.S. Bank Stadium in 2016, there's been $3 billion of investment in and around the stadium. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to, and it, it's a very simple uh, proposition. Do you want to, is good, better, best? Do you want to be a good city, a good state? a better city, better state, or the best city, better state. And if I think you are who I think you are, then it'll be an easy math equation. Because if I walk in there and say, look, this is going to be your investment, but within three years, there's going to be $3 billion of investment 
in and around your stadium. But bigger than that, one of the other things we talked about is that I don't know a lot, but if we didn't build U.S. Bank Stadium, I can guarantee you that we would not have hosted Super Bowl 52 in February. So it, 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 it required us to basically paint a holistic picture to say not only financially is it going to be a major impact when a northern city, a cold weather city, hosts a Super Bowl, the validity that it gives in all areas in the state, let alone in sports, but in the state, you can't put an ROI on it. And so that was the whole context. So the state of Minnesota smiled during the first part of February in the middle of the winter in a cold area. But to be able to say of all the locations in the world that they could be playing this game, the largest sporting event that occurs is in the state of Minnesota. And that only came by a new stadium and all of the economic um, money that we put into it. I mean, the numbers have come out that net, you know, net, net, it's about $400 million over the course of a week. Uh, that that wow. we were able to make $370 million and then $30 million on tickets. But there's not many businesses, sporting events, opportunities where you can say over the course of four to five days that you're going to lean in $400 million of economic value to that. And then even bigger than that, the panache that comes around it. Because you know, you know what we have next April is the NCAA Final Four. Yes, yes. So you get the Super Bowl, that, you get the, the Final Four. We have Jay-Z and Beyonce coming to play. We have uh, Taylor Swift. We have Ed Sheeran. There's all kind of opportunities that mm-hmm. will come from just, quote-unquote, building a building. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk to the politicians, even the naysayers now will say that was the best $500 million we could have spent. And you know what? They're right. Yes, I hear you loud and clear. And, and you know, clearly that was still part of a vision because you didn't have any of these events locked up no. at the time that you closed. So it was your ability, the team's ability to be able to articulate this vision and get people to realize that there was really going to be a real yield, a mathematical yield Correct. on this investment at the end of the day. Was it tough to articulate this vision to uh, private investors or once the city and state were in place, people thought they could get on board because at a minimum, there would be some single-digit return. Yeah, you know, it wasn't tough because one of the things, and whether this is in my business life or in my personal life, I always come to the table with the mindset and make it very clear to people that if we have to do it ourselves, we will and Mm -hmm. we can. Mm -hmm. So me coming to you all is really providing you with an opportunity that a lot of times people wouldn't provide you with that opportunity to do. And so once people kind of understand that, that this is not a money grab, Mm -hmm. but we're going to come in here and, you know, if we work together, the impact to the city, to the state, to all the women, the people of color, the veteran businesses, the panache, all the young people growing and coming together. And then there's a whole ROI on that is that the, the, the words that it sends to people in business to say, you know what? Politicians, you can have public-private partnerships to get things done together, and and how that just infiltrates business in the state is unbelievable. The other things we have eighteen Fortune five hundred companies here. Do you know the value of what that stadium has done from a recruiting standpoint? So yeah. when they're recruiting people to say one of their things in their in their booklet is like we're hosting Super Bowl fifty two. We got the twenty nineteen Final Four. Um, why don't you come visit during a football you know weekend? It's no different than when you start really looking at if someone asks you, what's the ROI on your children? You know, you don't talk about the financial, you know, benefits, the benefits that they bring you and the joy that they bring you. You can't put words on it. So I always focus on trying to meet people, whoever it is, politician, business people, investors, 
where they are and also speak the language of whatever they understand, uh, can understand. So if I if I figure out someone only is focused on the financial part, I will show you how it makes financial sense. And then if mm-hmm. someone's only focused on the branding, I'll show you how it makes brand sense. And the people that really understand it, when you put the entire package together, people will say that, you know what, that we were absolutely silly that it even took as long as it possibly did because the benefits that it has brought to the table. But that's exactly what I wanted to get to, Kevin, because I believe that that's one of the reasons that people don't invest more readily Correct. where there's clearly an inefficiency. I right. mean, I, I'm an economics major. I know you've taken right. economics as well. Absolutely. And you know whenever there's a market inefficiency, there is a commercial opportunity. Absolutely. Yet this has been a space, especially around community development and investing in women and multicultural entrepreneurs where people have shied away from, which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to have this conversation about the playbook. And you've just articulated the playbook very clearly. It's recruiting opportunities. It's job creation. It's real economic growth. It's a value proposition for the next generation so the, the city, the state won't die. Right. So I think if people can figure out how to package mm-hmm. the argument, then it makes it a lot easier to think about the the overall investment. And we're not talking, I was joking a few minutes ago when I said single digit returns, yeah. but this is clearly not single digit no. returns no. if a billion was invested and three billion went right behind it. In three years. And three years. And that did not include the stream, the pipeline of opportunities and events. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. And then so what it, what it, set, what it does is it sets the tone because you know what, there are other businesses, other companies around the country right now to say, you know what, I've, I've heard it happen all the time. People will say, man, when I came to the Super Bowl, you know, that's the first time I'd ever been uh, to uh-huh. Minnesota. And you know what, even with the coal, it's a nice place. And then there's businesses that will be relocated. There's students who will be hired out of there for business opportunities. Uh, on vacation, people will come here. You know, the Final Four, there are other concerts, there are businesses, there are conferences, all of those different things that come together. So what we have done that we've used this quote unquote stadium as really a conduit. And as I've all often say is that really one great thing about sports, it is the front porch of your house. And so you get a chance to people get a chance to look and say, I like the way that that house looks and it will lead to other business opportunities. And one of the reasons which you, I know you've always promoted, that's why businesses, public and private you know, regardless of the color, women and men, all these businesses have to work together yep. because when people look and like the, the front porch of what they see, they want to engage. And you, if you have an opportunity for people to engage, to get a, a chance to invest in women-owned business, to people uh, businesses owned by people of color, businesses by veterans, it starts with the idea that sports kind of made their eye look your way. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm always conscientious about that opportunity. And you did you have an opportunity to dictate how much of, for example, the construction dollars, the billion dollars, uh, and other expenditures, did you have a chance to dictate how much of that was going to go yes, to minority Yes, that was something we were so adamant about that we actually put it in the legislation. Mm-hmm. And you know what's amazing? When you put things in the legislation and you make it very clear that it's a priority, we blew through the numbers. And now what has happened is that that mindset becomes the DNA of how we do business. So here on this project at Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, we didn't even have to put it in in the numbers. We didn't have to put it up front because they looked and said, this is how the Vikings do business and this is how they're going to do business. Other people now have followed us and with construction projects have said that was the standard. So absolutely, that stadium created opportunities for 
women who had hoped to get in business who are now in business, for minorities who had hoped to get in business who are now in business, or for veterans who had hoped to get in business who are now in business. So it served as a conduit for them to really jumpstart their business and bring you know, vi- visual um, opportunities for people. So that was very important, and that was something and, uh, that I was adamant about, that this was not going to be, oh, yeah, we'll get it done and we'll do the best we can. We had it in the legislation, and I'm so proud of what we were able to accomplish from that standpoint that we really moved the dial. And it's one great thing when you challenge people with something, and it's something that, that, that is difficult to do, but when they do it and exceed it, and then they're proud of it to be able to say, look what we did. And so yes. this was one of those moments for everyone involved for us to look at each other and say, look what we did, and we still got it done in a qualified manner. You mentioned that you all put the stipulation to make sure that uh, there was certain economic distribution to entrepreneurs of color. You put it in the legislation. What were your goals there? So the targeted goals from a, a minority standpoint was 9%, and we ended up achieving 13%. Wow. Women was 11%. We achieved 16%. And veterans, we ended up, we didn't have that one, but we ended up with 1.5%. But the incredible numbers are in the workforce goals. And we had 32%, which is a large number from a minority standpoint in Minnesota. We we reached 37%. Wow. And then we had a targeted goal of 6% of the workforce for women, and we achieved the goal of 9%. And then we had 4% uh, veterans. So when you think of, you know, over a third of our workforce were minorities is really I mean, those are incredible in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, this those is, are incredible yeah, numbers. And, and incredible anywhere, numbers. right? Anywhere, anywhere. So now, a lot of these projects, people are including these numbers. And I remember when we first started, people were like, "Okay, we can do it." Maybe it's two percent, three percent, but to accomplish these, you know, numbers is, is astronomical. That and is we're outstanding. Proud of. Congratulations! And and now for other cities and other projects mm-hmm. to think about the fact that there's absolutely no reason, and you can't argue, can't find them. Uh, it seems like you said $3 billion have already come into the space. Has some of those investments been in affordable housing? Have they been in retail? What happens from here is what I want listeners or investors who are thinking about this right. to think about the next wave. And you know, the wonderful question is multiple different things happen. Because what's happened now around the stadium, if you take a snapshot of what it looked like uh, down at the <laughs> Metrodome beforehand, and now I'm, one of the things I'm incredibly proud about I've had people ask me, hey, where did the Metrodome used to be? And I'm able to say to them, it's on the same site. And so that reiterates even more what I say. It would be one thing if we had built U.S. Bank Stadium two miles away. And then someone could argue to say, well, yeah, that area was already gone. This is the same Same. location. (laughs) All we did is just tilt the angle of it. So we were able to tear down the Metrodome and rebuild U.S. Bank Stadium in 30 months. So there's hotels, there's restaurants, there's residential, there's high-rise condos, there is Everything now is around there, and by creating all that, what you've done, you've created jobs because you put right. two or three hotels there, and you know now all of a sudden you got people to work at the hotel and people to you know people come and stay out of town. Well, if they come and stay, you got to have restaurants to eat in. So it's created all kind of opportunities. But to think that we're we've only played two seasons there, so before we even start our third season, it's three billion dollars. It's just starting. So I could visualize looking back over the next three to four years that we'll be talking. 10 and $15 billion that have gone into an area that will have long-lasting you know, effects. So wow. everything has gone in and around U.S. Bank Stadium. Wow. Well, with every project, there are learnings. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn uh, either afterwards or during that you wish you had known before? One of the things I learned, it was more of affirmations that is so important to be prepared. 
Uh, so we literally went to every single NFL stadium, either because we played wow. there or if we hadn't, we visited there. We visited stadiums in Europe, um, you know, in the EPL. Um, we, we visited soccer stadiums. I went to a lot of colleges. You know, all this was happening at, the, at, at that time in my life when I was on a lot of college campuses because of my son and daughter. So I was able to take in all of these different ideas and kind of what you started the, the, this conversation with is holding the standard to nirvana. Because so many times you go on these projects that people say, well, let's, you know, let's just get it done, and we know in X number of years we'll have to be redoing it. The standard was, you know what? Let's dare to be great on this. So let's hold each other accountable to nirvana. And if we can't accomplish that, then let's don't do this. And, uh, and so we were able to take all of the bits and pieces and you know, put, put it on. The biggest thing I'm proud of and learned is the importance of, of, of making sure that it's an inclusive project. So we got everyone on board uh, from a construction standpoint, from a design standpoint. And so it wasn't anything that I look back and say, boy, we missed on that and made that mistake. It was more so affirmation of those things that you learned from your parents, those things that you learned in first, first and second grade, the golden rule, really applies to big business. The bigger the business, I think the more basic the concepts become. Treat people with respect, work hard, be inclusive, treat people with Dignity, handle your business with style, grace, and class. Say please, say thank you. You know, all of those different things is really how we built this project. It wasn't anything that was magical about it, yeah. and it all came together. And and, and we we truly and then the hand of God was on it. It was it was it's been a blessing. I hear that, and it sounds like it also was an aha moment for you that it wasn't as difficult as you might have thought. You didn't encounter the resistance mm -hmm. that one anticipates that you might do, especially when you're trying to go in this direction right. of making sure that there's an equity in the distribution yep. of wealth that is created around such a project that you just decided you were going to do it and it was you were able to get it done. Yeah, we get it done. The other thing, and I think, and this was one of those unintended positive consequences, was the fact we spent a lot of time, energy, and resources on building a model and what I, what, mm. what I underestimated a little bit, the power of the model, and then right across the street from our stadium, we did what we call a preview center. We had over 10,000 people come in there, but we built out some mock suites. And there were some people, even internally, were like, mm, boy, that's expensive. And something told us to go forward with it because I, 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 I partially underestimated the power of the visual mm -hmm. experience. So mm -hmm. when people could walk in and say, wait a minute, I had a suite at the Metrodome and this is what it looked like. This is what you all, this is what I'm getting. And so by having that, and it was it was a, a stroke of, of, I would say, genius by having it right across the street from the stadium. Yeah. Because then people were able to look at that construction site. So they were able to see what it looked like, but then to look to see. And so every time, every time someone come back another month, a little bit more, a little bit more was done. And once it started taking you know, hold of it, people could really buy into it and say, okay, that's perfect. Yeah. And so we kind of sold that this is what it looks like, but that's where it's going to be, and then they could visualize it, yeah. and then it turned out to be even more beautiful than we had hoped and yeah. dreamed for. It made it real. This is made just not a model that yeah. will look differently at the time yeah. that it's done. So that's, that's important because yeah. sometimes people will have their, their, um, their site in one location, and they'll have their preview center on the other cross town, yeah. and they're just showing you pictures. So one bit of advice I would tell, whatever project you're building, whether it's an office building, it's important to have your preview center in, in eyes view of the site uh -huh. because that will that that's worth this that's worth this weight yeah. uh, in gold from that standpoint. So let's talk about the accelerator. So where did that idea come from? What are you trying to do? What kind of companies would you like to have in there? 
one of the things that I'm, I'm adamant about, if you combine education and you combine youth, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from a tech accelerator standpoint, the more we can provide youth, not only locally, but nationally, internationally, an opportunity to come and learn the importance of technology and science and, and engineering and math, the better we're going to be just collectively as a, as a company. So our goal is to get, you know, companies who are interested in that, uh, whether it's financial services mm-hmm. or, or, or science or technology. We have some great companies here who, who have already expressed an interest. But we just want to provide a conduit for our young people here who in school are in school to be able to take that whole idea of football, but then but just to tie it into, back to what I said, us being relevant 365, mm-hmm. 24-7. Because if you're fourth grader in the summer, uh, you're a latchkey kid and you're at home, and then all of a sudden in July, you can go and spend a day or a week or go to camp here. All of a sudden, it's relevant to that young person, which means it's relevant to their parents, is relevant to everyone involved. And what it does, it builds a great base for the future. Absolutely. And, and so, again, I'm a big believer. I wake up every morning trying to figure out ways, um, better ways that we can help empower Young people from an education standpoint, if you do that, things are going to work out. Yeah, that I think is a great idea, especially for that next generation Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out, you know, do I even like science and what would I do with science and then all these other ways that they can apply it. One of the things that I thought right off the top of my head when I first saw the uh, the article about you all thinking about an accelerator was Medtronic is an awesome company awesome. and given what your needs are as a team yep. around devices and mm-hmm. other medical developments that seemed to me if you were going to focus just even on med tech mm-hmm. that put you in a very interesting space because there's not that many med tech accelerators no. in the country at all absolutely and, yeah. and, and you know you've hit on so many different things but again you know I focus on Nirvana just like this studio here. You know, this was a closet. Yes, and so we to be able to be able to this. create this studio and have an opportunity to do podcasts. I don't know if you've seen our television studio. I did. And to see that and now can you imagine a young high school person who aspires to be a broadcaster to come to be able to call games. We're going to have high school games here to be able to develop a tape. So when they apply to colleges and universities, they have tangible experience. But what it takes a commitment is the same equipment we have in that studio is the same equipment we have at U.S. Bank Stadium. So that person is literally trained to be able to do different things. So I say all that to say it's very important, and that's one something businesses have to realize. The easiest way to get public buy-in or investors to buy-in is to spend your own money first. Because mm-hmm. so many times people come up with these allegedly great ideas, and it's OPM. You know, They want other people to put their money in on the front end. And we just found out that we're committed but when you're committed and you're willing to write the check and to be able to do it, like I said, even if no one commits, then that's when people will say, okay, great. Uh-huh. And so we've been in discussions now about building a 300-room hotel on our premises. And, you know, like I said, the Tech Accelerator Incubator, we're going to put 800 to 1,000 apartments all on this property because mm-hmm. we want to just create a city that people feel that they can come and spend time with year-round. Very well said, sir. All right, lightning round. Let's let our listeners get to know a little bit about Kevin Warren, your favorite Vikings player. I would say all of them. (laughs) All of them. I was wondering how you were going to answer that. I love them all. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Favorite book or magazine? In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. City or the Countryside? City. Winter or summer? Definitely summer. Best event at U.S. Bank Stadium since opening? Super Bowl 52. All right. Coffee or tea? Uh, neither. Texting or talking? Uh, both. 
last thing you downloaded? Vino. It's a, it's a wine app. So I, I, I love that. You know, you take a you yes. take a picture of the of the label on the wine and it gives you all the background I can read on it. So I love that. I know I have yeah, it too. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite vacation destination? Clearly Grand Cayman, Seven Mile Beach. Okay. If you had a talk show, who would you want to be your first guest? Oh, boy. Living living or, or, or deceased? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? Uh, Jesus would have to be my first guest. Okay. What's one word that you'd like to describe your legacy? Visionary. I would agree with that one, sir. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you all for listening. I'm Carla Harris, and we'll be back soon with another conversation about access and opportunity.